Welcome to Regina Apostolic Church Online. Glad you're able to spend some time with us today, whether it's Sunday morning or whenever you happen to pick up this feed. Uh, my name is Larry Moore. I'm the lead pastor at the church, and we're just glad that you're able to uh, take in our message today. We trust the Lord will minister to you. We're really excited that uh, spring is here, almost, it seems, and that uh, there's lots of people coming out of the woodwork as after COVID and starting to settle back into the church. If you're in the vicinity, our services are 9.15 and 11 o'clock Sunday morning. We'd just love to have you with us, and uh, we just pray that uh, God would minister to you, whether uh, you sense the presence of the Lord through this particular message and online piece, or you're able to make it out and be with us in person. My title today of the message is, We're Called to Be Stewards. And uh, if you're part of Regina Apostolic Church, you know that as your lead pastor, I desire to be obedient to Christ's command from Matthew 28 that speaks of making disciples. You see, we can't simply make converts to Christianity alone. God's called us to make disciples. Converts have a tendency sometimes if you don't walk with them, they don't move beyond just simple salvation experience. And don't get me wrong, that's a great experience and that's what puts our name into the Lamb's Book of Life. But to propagate the church, to see it grow, to see us reach the world, it requires us to make disciples. I want to take the same tact when we're discussing things like walking in obedience with our finances and our possessions. It all comes under the, the, the guise, the, the title, the umbrella of being a disciple. When we submit to the Lord's uh, lordship over our life, if you will, the Father's lordship over our lives, we have several scriptures that we're actually fulfilling by doing that that are given as what we should be doing in response to Jesus' death on the cross. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he said, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then he says, Or do you not know that your body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. That's the key part of that verse. You are not your own as a result of being a disciple. For you were bought with a price, and so therefore glorify God with your body. Paul again said to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, reading out of the King James Version, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says this. This is the phrase I like in, in chapter 12, verse 1 which is your reasonable service. And what he means by that is in light of what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me, the reasonable response to that is that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, Lord, here we are. Do with us as you will. In light of what you did for us, it's the least that we can do to give ourselves in that way. Then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then finally, Paul again, writing to the church in Galatia, said something very similar. He said, listen, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, in, in light of that crucifixion. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All three verses out of Corinthians, Romans, and Galatians speak to a disciple's lifestyle. That's what Jesus has called us to. The natural response to his death on the cross is that we would give our lives as a disciple to do with as he pleases. 
When I submit my life to Jesus in that way, it's in response to the fact that he's purchased me. He's redeemed me. He's bought me back from destruction. My obvious next step is to make daily active decisions and choices to allow him to be Lord over my life in every way. Spiritually, socially, physically, mentally, as a father, as a husband, as a citizen. Granted, we're going to have days where it goes better than other days. We all have those. Maybe that's one of your days today. But the truth is, is that in spite of that fact, that should be our tact. That should be our direction. And our motivation behind it is to please God by giving him our life to do with as he pleases. The difference is we're not living as an owner of our life, but we're living as a steward because our life has been purchased by Jesus on the cross. If I allow my father to own everything, therefore, it stands to reason that he'd also own my wealth. He'd own my wages, my income. He'd own my money, my possessions, and all the decisions that touch every one of those areas. Once we decide to live as disciples of Christ, there's a couple of things that we need to remember. Number one, we need to reconsider how we make decisions. All of us, especially those of us that are adults, we have uh, multiple decisions to make every day. James gives us a bit of direction about those decisions when it comes to finances. He says in James 4.13, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Sounds like a good idea. But James says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a while and then it vanishes. He said, instead of saying that, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or we'll do that. Why, what's the difference between those two things? You're submitting yourself verbally, a confession of your mouth, saying that I'm a disciple of Christ, and I take into consideration the Lord's will may not be that I go into a city for a year and make money. And if he doesn't want me to do that, then I won't. James is telling us that we can't be a steward and an owner of our life simultaneously. The decisions we make as stewards have to be passed through the owner. So the first thing to remember is that we need to reconsider how we make decisions. The second thing is we come to the realization that there's nothing on this earth that we own that we can ultimately take with us. Nothing. Someone said one time that you won't find any U-Hauls behind hearses. Seems a little bit strange when you consider that, but there's no way to take anything with you when you leave this world. Whether we act as stewards or owners, it's exactly the same. The only way that we can keep what comes into our possession is to invest for where we're going, not where we are. Matthew 6 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves, in verse 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's so crucial. As a disciple, we have to understand wherever we find our heart, that's where our treasure is, and whenever, our, whenever we find our treasure, there's a pretty good chance that that's where our heart is going to be. Solomon, who was classified as the wisest man who ever lived, said in Ecclesiastes, Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. I wasn't there when I was born in terms of being cognizant of what was going on, but I was there for all four of my boys, and not one of them brought anything into this world except a need to be looked after. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 and 7, he said, 
For you brought nothing into this world, and you can take nothing out of it. And finally, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1 and 21. The truth is, you can't take it with you. So when you're considering possessions, when you're considering money, things that you own, you need to consider the fact that none of these things will go with you past this life. And you're going to spend a whole great amount of time more in heaven and with Jesus than you are in the short space of time you're given here on this earth. The next point is that disciples, as I said before, you're called to act as a steward and not as an owner. Steward is someone who looks after other people's things. An owner is someone who possesses those things. When it comes to wealth, be it money or what money can purchase, God has called his church to act as stewards, not owners of what comes into their hands. And Joseph is a perfect example of a steward. Genesis 39 verse 4 says, So Joseph found favor in his sight, meaning Potiphar, and he tended him, and Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. It goes on, From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. In other words, the Lord blessed uh, Potiphar for the sake of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. That's quite a place to come, especially when you consider that he wasn't part of that lineage or part of that, that nation. Joseph's life is a model of what it means to be a steward of God's things materially. Stewards manage what belongs to others, and in this case, our stuff belongs to our Father in heaven the one who bought us and paid for us with a great price in terms of his son. The word steward actually means one who manages or administers. Joseph eventually actually became the prime minister of Egypt in charge of the palace, in charge of everything and everyone there except for Pharaoh himself. So he went from Potiphar to Pharaoh, and as he went from one to the other, his authority actually increased. He oversaw, he administered, he was steward of an even greater amount of the kingdom than he was when he was with Potiphar. And Joseph evidently could even use Pharaoh's signet ring in any way that he chooses, which was a huge level of authority for anyone to have. And Joseph had that. Even though Joseph was a steward, he lived well in both Potiphar's house and in Pharaoh's kingdom. So what did Jesus say about money? What did Jesus say about finances and stewarding? That he'll make us rich financially? I know some people think that that's the promise that we have. But if everything we own belongs to the Lord, then really he's making himself rich under our stewardship, if he's doing that at all. Jesus taught us a surprising truth, that the Father uses how we steward financially to determine how much he can trust us with spiritually. Stewards who, faithful, who are faithful sorry, receive greater privileges. The Bible says in Luke 16, 11, Jesus speaking, he said, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, money, material things, etc., who will trust you with true riches? And in Jesus' mind, the true riches were the things that were eternal. And if we have not been trustworthy with someone, someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? What is the property he speaks of? It's our eternal property or our eternal rewards for being faithful. How much money that we have here on earth is not an indication of our spirituality, but how we manage what we have is an indication of that. 
And so regardless of the amount that you have in your bank account, how well you, off you are financially or materially, that's not consequential so much as far as the Father's concerned as it is how faithful you are with that to steward it for the, the purposes of his kingdom. You see, testing our stewardship starts early and lasts all through our lives, whether we're an owner or a steward, whether we're a Christian or not a Christian. Grade school children are tested when they get an allowance, that they would look after it. High school students are tested with a part-time job. How well did you do on that job? That'll determine if you get a better job or get a raise. Our management of money continues throughout our working life, even all the way up through to retirement. God is looking for people that he can trust with real, eternal things. And he uses our management of money and possessions that we've been trusted with in that evaluation. So if, you evaluate, if he evaluates that you're doing well and you're stewarding of material and money and things like that here on this earth, then the Bible says that he will give you more to steward, whatever that looks like. Every financial decision, in essence, is a spiritual decision. Stewardship means a whole different way of thinking. The point is that stewards think differently than owners. I need to ask the Father, what does he want with this? What does he want me to do with this? So when it comes to the giving, which is a natural part of being a steward, we're actually not giving our money if we're disciples. We're actually giving back to God something that he's given us. And if you believe in tithing, as I do, then tithing is not giving 10% and the other 90 is mine. I'm giving God 10% for him to use in the purposes of his kingdom here. The other 90% is at his beck and call as well, if he desires. Our success is not based on the amount of money that we have in our bank account today. It's what we do with that money that counts. So here's some principles of stewardship as I close. Number one, stewards are grateful and content. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to be brought low, Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing both plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Paul said. And then he skips down to verse 18 and he says, speaking of an offering that they had actually given him for support of his ministry from the church in Philippi, he said, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Stewards are grateful and content. Can God trust us to appreciate our 15-year-old car, our generic food, our secondhand clothing. I know a little bit of what Paul talks about when he talks about abounding, about having much and having lack. I joked with, uh, in previous places of ministry that sometimes when my wife and I would come to the line in the supermarket, there was so much yellow in our cart that everybody had to wear sunglasses before it could go through the cashier. The yellow meaning that was the cheapest brand that was available. But that's not really what matters. It's, it, can he trust me with that? Can he trust me with that? It's really the same issue for the poor as it is with the wealthy, if you will. Being grateful is a stewardship issue. It means that we're at peace with the fact that we're not somebody else, that we're us. We're at peace with the fact and we're content with the fact that we're where we're at today. That contentment, the Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's massive gain. I know so many people that can't get to sleep at night because 
they have so much money or they have maybe not uh, a massive amount of money, but they're still uh, full of anxiety as to whether that's going to be there tomorrow, if they've made the right decisions on things. Listen, when you're a steward, you just have to do what God has called you to do. You just have to manage what belongs to him well, and he will instruct you as to how to do that. We're at peace with the fact that we're not someone else. I'm me, and God lovingly has given me the skills and the job and the finances that I need for right now. God assigns everything in life. It's our trust and submission to God that brings contentment with our job and our income and all of our material things. That contentment is huge. It really is. And that's one of the best things that stewards have available to them. Number two, stewards give willingly. Malachi 3, 10 and 11 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. When God asks a steward for a tithe, it's actually giving that steward the opportunity to show that, that God owns everything and that we trust him to provide our needs at the 90% instead of just at the 100 only when we come to grips with the fact that we're stewards, not owners, does giving come willingly. Number three, stewards realize that their ability to work is a gift. It really is. Deuteronomy 8.17 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Jehovah said, You will remember the Lord your God, for it is He, it's He who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. What is he saying in those days? He's saying that I, Jehovah, gives me the opportunity to make wealth. Not my own prowess, not my own ability, not my training. All of those things are great. But everything I have, especially as a redeemed child of God, I come into possession of, if you will, because he gives it into my hand. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Jewish under the, the Old Covenant or the Gentiles under the New Covenant, the promise is exactly the same. When we work hard, we can often think that we've earned our wage through our toil, and there may be some truth to that, but at the bottom of it is the fact that God is the one who gave us the ability to earn wealth, and that ability is a gift as well. Finally, stewards enjoy the blessings of what they steward. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul writing to, to Timothy, he said, When you speak to the rich, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what is he saying? That there's a difference between the riches and that which is truly life. And that's absolutely the case. The riches you can't take with you, but you can embrace that which is truly life, which is something eternal. Acting as stewards does not mean that we give up all good things. It simply means that we give up control of them. That's the difference. It doesn't mean that you never have any good things, if you will. It just means that the Lord is in control of those things now and not you. And you're giving him that authority in your life as a disciple. When we have a stewardship mindset, it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy good things. It actually means that we enjoy those things more because we don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to be there tomorrow. The Lord owns them. 
The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And every piece of discipleship as conversion, exactly the same, is predicated on the basis that we serve a good God, that he has our best interests at, at hand, and that he wants the very best for us. And when you serve a God like that, you can trust him. You can believe that he's going to look after you no matter what the situation is. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says this, One person who has no other, either a son or a brother, in other words, there's no one else in their life, yet there's no end to all of their toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling or depriving myself of pleasure? The writer of Ecclesiastes says, This also is vanity and an unhappy business. It's a hard place to be in when you have everything that you could possibly want, but you have no capacity to enjoy it. This is where being a contented steward makes all the difference. This is where it makes the difference. Martin Luther said, people go through three conversions. The conversions of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. I want to encourage you today, as I close, that you would consider not so much the focus on finances, but everything, absolutely everything that you own. To give it to the Lord and not act as a Christian only, as a Christian who's converted to Christianity and whose name is written in heaven, but act as someone who in response to what Jesus has done in your life actually gives him everything that you own. Become a steward. We're called to be stewards as Christians, not owners. And that's where the abundant life begins. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I know that sometimes when, when the church talks about money, people get uncomfortable. When we talk about possessions and who actually owns them, sometimes we think that, uh, that there's different motivations behind those discussions and those speaking. But the truth is, you're the one that's laid out in Scripture the way to success, the way to being fruitful, the way to being content and happy. And as all predicated, it all goes back to understanding first what you did on the cross for us, and then responding correctly to what you did on the cross for us. And that correct response is to let my life be a living sacrifice, to let my life be a disciple of Christ, one who is a steward of everything that I own, giving it all over to you for your glory and your purposes. Lord, I ask that if there's anybody that's struggling with this in their life right now and your Holy Spirit is speaking to them, um, I pray that you would strengthen them to take a step forward, even just one step forward towards being the disciple you want them to be. You will guide them, you'll direct them, you'll speak into their spirit, you'll speak to them from the word, and you'll show them how to make that happen. Lord, I pray you bless them as they walk towards stewardship and use them for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks very much for listening. God bless you. Easter is next week. Pray that God would minister to you, especially at this particular time of the year, and he would be real in your life. If the church can do anything for you, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need some, um, some counsel or anything like that, please feel free to get in touch with us at any time. God bless. Good to have you with us.